Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here with you again. Uh, for those of you that are new, I am Josh Nicewanger, one of the pastors here at Cheyenne Brian. Um, I had to introduce myself because I've been gone for a long time. Somebody actually came up and introduced himself to me that's been here a long time. They're like, welcome. Who are you? And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm your pastor. No. Um, but anyway, last, last week, just by way of just some announcements, last week I was at Maranatha Bible Camp, and uh, some of you have been asking uh, how I've been doing. I, I was sick the week before that, so thank you so much for all of you that have been praying, and, and uh, I was really actually kind of worried. I didn't even have a voice clear up to two weeks ago Sunday, and then I was supposed to be speaking four times this last week, and so I was like kind of going, wow, this is going to be like, I hope I can find like a really good sign interpreter or somebody to like get up and read my notes, because I... I am not going to be the one speaking. And so anyway, had a blast going out to camp and uh, got to spend some time with the youth and it was so fun. But uh, by way of just kind of talking about that and the significance for us as a church, um, how do you make decisions on, on doing things? And I want to convey to you the importance of me going out to camp and why that was so significant to me. And for us as a church, for one, uh, somebody had asked me to go speak out at a camp. If I didn't know people, I would maybe evaluate it, think about it. But what made this such a neat opportunity to go out to camp was this. There were many churches that were there from Berean Fellowship. We're part of a fellowship of churches, a group of Berean churches. And I got to be out there with other Berean pastors and encourage youth pastors as they're out doing work from the Berean Fellowship. But even more near and dear to my heart was this. I was able to go out, and this was the kicker on why I made that decision. That many times you all get to hear me preach, and I'm preaching to you, and I'm your pastor. But I got to go out with our youth, and their pastor got to speak to them. And I was so looking forward to being with our youth as your pastor. Love you kids. And it was so fun being out there and seeing God work in young people's lives. And it's important. Local church is important. And that's why I went out. Because of a high value of local church. Love you all. Being gone from you all. I've missed you all. And so really look forward to this time here this morning. So... Uh, by way of kind of where we're going to be heading this morning, uh, we've been finishing up a, a, a series on Philippians 4, and we're kind of in the final, final uh, portions of it. And just to kind of introduce the topic this morning, I uh, wanted to give maybe just a little, little segue of, of who I was as a kid, because maybe some of you can kind of relate with this. When I was a kid growing up, if you would have seen me and interacted with me, you would have seen a kid that was very compliant, a pretty decent kid. Uh, my aunt in here, she can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and, and for most parts, you look on the outside and it was like, well, it seems like he has it kind of pretty together. But if you would have started looking a little bit closer, you would have seen something different in my life. I chewed my fingernails all the time. Now, this isn't confession. But I chewed my fingernails all the time. There was a lot of anxiety that was going on in my life when I was younger. And it was something that I didn't know always how to deal with anxiety. And, and maybe some of you can relate with that, that, that sometimes life felt overwhelming. And I, I had a great home. I loved my family, loved my parents, but, but there were things that I was just anxious as I was younger. And then later on in life, as I was working, and this was back at LCCC, one of the things that I, I realized about my day and, and what was so easy to happen in a day is I'd go about a day and all of a sudden I would get to the end of it and I'd go, whew. 
what on earth just happened today? You have those days where all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I, I don't even know if I remembered to breathe. I, I, I think so because I'm still here right now. Like I'm still conscious. But I had a lot of anxiety from all of that. And I started asking myself questions. Where are you, God, in the midst of all of that? Am I missing you? What's going on? And maybe some of you this morning, you're going, man, you know what? Anxiety is something that I struggle with. When I was looking at even just a little bit of research online, the reality of the world that we live in right now, and this was according to WHO, the World Health Organization, anxiety is one of the leading problems facing people around the world. It's a, it's a problem that's facing young, it's facing old. Young people, 18 and, and, and younger, about 25% of young people face anxiety. And you're like, what on earth? They're kids. And yeah, there's stress that they have that's going on in their life. There's stress that's going on in your life. And it may come out in, in things that you're anxious about. You may have stomach problems. You may have sleeping problems. You may have other things that you face. And you go, I'm not an anxious person. But you look at some of these other things going on in your body and you go, oh my goodness, there's something going on there. Or maybe you're even struggling with depression, which can even at times be related to anxiety. And as I was thinking through this topic and the significance that I was thinking through some of this, something needs to change. And so when I'm preaching this message to you this morning, please understand this isn't me coming to you going, all right, y'all, I have this all figured out, and I'm here to tell you exactly what you need to do with this. Please don't look at me like that. What you need to see up here is one person who is a beggar before Jesus and going, Jesus, I desperately need this message. I need you to give instruction in my life. I need this to move forward in my life. Or I won't be an emotionally healthy person and I won't be an emotionally healthy leader for us as a church. I need this. I'm desperate for Jesus. We are desperate for Jesus and need instruction about this. And so I've asked Ty Brown to go ahead and come on up. He's going to read the passage. We've, uh, we've been having people from the church since we're talking about together for the gospel. We're having different people from the church uh, come in and read the portions of scripture. So he normally helps out back in the sound booth. So go ahead and lead us into this passage, Ty. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can gather together to study your word and hear what you have to say to us. God, something needs to change in our life today. And as we look at your scriptures, we look at what you've communicated, it's important. You, you, you kept it on record for, for us to glean from. We want to surrender our hearts and our minds to hear what is it that you're saying needs to change in our life. In your name, amen. 
Well, as we look through this passage, the kind of the last thing that I was thinking about that, that I think is the verse that I want us to focus on, and we may get to eight and nine, but uh, we may need to break that off into two sections because, as you know, we're on a slow boat to uh, the end of Philippians, right? Um, it's, it's been a journey, right? So uh, this is the passage that I think, as I was trying to think through, okay, what is it that Paul is after? What is he hoping to have happen in our lives? And, and what's the goal that, that as, as I even mentioned anxiety, some of you all of a sudden were like getting stressed and checking your pulse as you were like, well, please don't talk about anxiety this morning. I don't even want to talk about it. I, I had a hard time even getting out of, the, out of the house this morning. But as we look at this passage of scripture, one of the things that Paul encourages us, he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That idea of will guards, it's, it's future tense. He's saying there's this thing that's going to come on you and it's, it's going to guard, it's going to be a covering for you. And he's hoping that, that he, we would have this experience of peace that guards our hearts, our minds. And we're going to talk about and, and look at some of the different things that we face that, that give us problems in our minds. And Paul addresses that just before this. But as we look at this whole passage and it says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts, how do I get there? What do I need to do in order to get that? I want that. I want peace. I don't like going through life and and, and always being like you're going a million miles an hour. How do I get there? What do I need to change? What needs to change? And so we'll look at some of those things this morning. So as we move through the passage, we're going to move through just kind of line by line and, and taking a look at what Paul had to say. So the first part, Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And, and we're just going to make some observations here, and then we're going to try to actually look at a case study. You know what a case study is. We're going to actually look at how this works in, in, in life. And so Paul looks at a group of people, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Some things that we need to see in in Paul's heart as he's talking about this idea of us moving forward to having our hearts and our minds guarded, what's the first thing that we need to see? Rejoice. And he says it again, that first thing that we look at, and I've highlighted it in very fun colors for you so that you can even very see where I'm going with this. He gives a command, he's commanding people, rejoice. It's not an option that he's giving people. What needs to change in my life? How do I get to this place of, of, of having my heart and my mind guarded? I need to learn to rejoice. What on earth is rejoice? Is it an emotion that I have? Is this just a matter of being happy? And I would, I, would, I would pose to you, no, Paul has something very different. It's a choice that I'm making. And how can we see that? Not only does he say rejoice, but he even says it again. He gives the command, again, I will say rejoice. And I underline that word again. And if you have your Bibles, underline that one. Because he's even stressing again, in case you missed the fact that he says rejoice, rejoice. He says, again, I say rejoice. Again, he's focusing, how do I have this peace that's going to guard my mind and my heart? I have to rejoice. Well, how often, we might ask. Well, man, one of the things that would be so easy is if the conditions were right, I would love to rejoice. Man, if you, if you just change the people I'm around, I'd be a lot happier person. It'd be great. Then I'll rejoice. And some of you are maybe going, oh, man, you don't know the people that I'm around. Or maybe my situation. 
Josh, you don't know what I'm going through right now. You're telling me I'm supposed to rejoice always in every occasion? Always rejoice? Yes, that's what Paul's telling us. Well, how on earth do I do that? If this is about being happy, if this is about an emotion that we're supposed to work up and manufacture, I'd pose to us as a church, there's no way that I can with integrity do this. But if there's a way that I can actually, there's something that I need to choose, something that I need to look to, then maybe there's a way for me to do this. And what does Paul say? And he talks about it right in the passage. There's a source. Rejoice. My rejoicing isn't just in random. It's not, uh, some of you like the song, and I'll maybe start with this phrase and see if you can finish it. Don't worry. Yeah, you know, okay, maybe we better not do that this morning. You trust me, you don't want to hear me sing. Don't worry, be happy. So is all I need to do is just kind of change my mindset and just, okay, don't worry, wash it away. It's just this emotion. I need to get rid of this emotion. And no, that's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's saying there's a source. There's a place that I can actually go. He says, in the Lord. It's, it's an idea that there is a place that I can go in the Lord and actually have this joy. I can choose to fix my eyes on who God is. I can't change my circumstances. I can't always change the people I'm around. Even though sometimes that would be nice at times, right? Amen. <laughs> but I can choose where I fix my gaze. I can choose who I'm focusing on in the midst of that. And Paul says, rejoice. How? Always. How? In the Lord. We focus our eyes in the Lord and who he is. Church, for us to be the people that God wants us to be, for us to be emotionally healthy people, we have to rejoice. How do I do it? I come to Christ. I come to learn who this person is, God. And one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm trying to read through the Old Testament again, working through the Bible. Why do I read this? Is this just something that I do as a checklist to kind of finish and go, well, I have nothing better to do, so I'm going to read this thing? No. The reason that I keep pouring over these pages of this book and, and trying to get to know what it has to say, I'm trying to get to know the God of the universe, I'm reading in the Old Testament and seeing how he rescued other people and going, wait, God, you are no different. You're no different than who you were then. You're the same God now. I can trust you. I can rejoice in you. Man, things look bleak. They look awful. Wait, other people went through that same thing. I can rejoice in you. You're trustworthy. And I come to God and I go, that's how my heart is going to be at ease. That's how my mind's going to be stilled and guarded. That I focus on who God is. So I look at this, it's not my circumstances that need to change. But where I run. It's me. It's me who needs to change. Rejoice. That's something I have to do. But then understand this. When he says rejoice, this is the southern translation. Y'all, rejoice, should be there, right? It's an, actually, I would say it's an all y'all. It's a plural. 
It's not you individually. I need to individually make a choice. He's saying all of us need to rejoice in the Lord collectively. We need to come to this person, God, learn who he is, learn his character, and encourage one another with that. And sing songs like we were doing this morning, remembering, great are you, God, remembering who he is and what he's like. That's how we have courage. That's how our hearts and minds are guarded. And it's not an option. It's a command. We're commanded to do it. So we're commanded to do this. But then the other aspect that we look at is this. And I love this portion. Well, actually, there's a quote that I was just thinking about. My, my biggest problem is my blindness to the source of true joy. I need open eyes and a renewed heart so that I will desire what's truly satisfying. Isn't that the problem with what we just talked about? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say rejoice. Isn't that the problem that many times I find is that I don't always know what is most satisfying. For me, when I I look at my life when I was a kid, I had things that I would run to. I was an anxious person like I just mentioned. Well, where did I try to run to for comfort, for hope, so that my heart and my mind would be guarded? I ran to alcohol. I ran to drugs. I ran to relationships with other people, unhealthy relationships with people, usually trying to find fulfillment in another person, a woman. I didn't know what truly brought lasting joy and peace. And sometimes, because of my anxiety, I would go, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to be more productive. Then people will like me. Then I'll be accepted. Then I'll have purpose and meaning. And so I worked hard to get things in, in, in my life to find this comfort. And some of us are prone to that same thing. We run to pornography. We run to alcohol. We run to shopping. We run to relationships. We run to all of these different things. And what Paul is encouraging us is rejoice in the Lord. He is our source of joy. And I need eyes that are opened and a renewed heart so that like Brian was talking about, that I would actually desire and delight in that. What Paul talks about early on in, in chapter two is he says, oh man, it's, it's he who wills in me to, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Maybe that's the prayer that you need today. God, would you, would you help me to will and to act and, and to see you, delight in you so that I would have peace, that my, my heart and my mind would be guarded. Maybe that's the prayer of your heart this morning. You recognize maybe this morning that, man, my biggest problem is I run to things that ultimately don't satisfy. It was John Piper that, that as he was building this whole uh, desiring God, he, he kind of outlined what he's talking about with this idea of Christian hedonism. And one of the things that he mentions, I think it was the second point that he mentions is, listen, as, as a person, I have these things, that I have these desires, and what I need to do is actually not try to hold myself back from those desires, but I need to try to delight in them in the most satisfying and most fulfilling thing that will, that will satisfy my human heart. And then he goes on to his next point to say what that is. God himself is that person. I can only find it in God. And we need to be reminded of that. And Paul's doing that with us. Well, why? Even David would say from the Old Testament, but for me, it's good. 
Do you realize that Paul is not just giving a command to go, I'm trying to withhold something from you. I'm trying to keep you from things that will, you think are going to satisfy you. And David, or sorry, not David, I think this was uh, Asaph, that he mentions that, but for me, it's good to be near God. And I've made the Lord my refuge. And maybe that's my heart this morning, is that I haven't truly made the Lord my refuge. And I need to run to him, and run to him often. And I need other people that would come alongside and, and not just critique me and how I'm living, but they would be the people that would come along and go, it's good. Oh man, it's so good to be near God. Come to God with me, come along. That's where life is, that's where hope is. We're together for the gospel, come on. Rejoice in the Lord together, let's do this. We'll keep moving forward to look at Paul and, and, and the things that he saw that would impact our lives. And he has this idea of let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I love this. See, one of the things that, that Paul just recently talked about, and sometimes, is, is there ever problems that happen in the church relationally? <laughs> I heard giggles. Uh, no, we don't ever have problems as a church. We cover those up. Um, so where is hope? What needs to change? And one of the things that we might be tempted to say is what really needs to change is you all. I'm good, but y'all need to change. And one of the things that Paul looks at is he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The idea of reasonableness is gentle. And, and some of you, if you've ever been around horses, you know a gentle horse from an ungentle horse. It's called broken. A horse that's been broken. So what's the difference between a horse that's been broken and one that hasn't? Both have the same strength. Both have the same energy and stamina and, and, and other things like that. But one will allow a rider, rider to be on top of them and guide them where they need to go. I love the definition up here that's given it, that being reasonable or gentle, it doesn't demand rights or require what is due them, even though they may have a right to something. Think about the argument that was going on in Philippi, and sometimes that maybe even happens in churches. You have two people that are opposing one another, and one person goes, you know what, I'm right, and if you just took my position, you'd be okay. And I'm unwilling to suffer a loss in this relationship. And the other person's just as adamant, no, if you just saw things from my perspective, we'd be okay. And one of the things that Paul's saying is, listen, when we rejoice in the Lord, and when we do it again and again, it actually impacts us and it impacts how we see one another. All of a sudden, I'm not just trying to demand my own right. I'm able to look at another person and going, even though I may have the right to demand this of you, I'm not going to ask it. Why? I'm looking out for others' interests. I'm not just about myself. I'm not just looking out for self-interest. As I rejoice in the Lord and I allow him to be in his rightful place in my life, I don't have to control others around me and I don't have to control life in general. I can relinquish that control to Christ. And I can be a gentle person and go, God, this hasn't changed that God's on the throne. He's still good. Yeah, would I like to have this? But I'm willing to go without because I love you as a brother. And he's still on the throne. That's the point. He says, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Kind of move us forward. 
idea at hand, it's either that he's coming or that he's near. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know which one it is. Because you go to different camps and I think they could argue either way. It's an adverb. Is that talking about the fact that the Lord's coming back? We could look back in, in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, and, and Paul says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Maybe Paul is looking at that when he says, the Lord is at hand, so we don't need to be anxious. He is going to be the one that's coming back, and he's going to take over. He's going to be in his rightful place, ruling and reigning, and we're going to visibly see that. And I'm going to be changed in that moment that I meet him. And that gives me hope to not be anxious right now. It actually gives me hope to then deal reasonably with other people. It actually helps me even rejoice in the Lord. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Or maybe like that passage in Psalm 73, that just like what Asaph was encouraging, man, it is so good to be near God. Either way, I think we can clearly look at what he's talking about. It is so good that God is near, whether he's coming or just the fact that he even encourages his disciples who are going to be left on their own and maybe panicking and a little anxiety set in. And what were the parting words that he gave to them? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. And maybe our hearts need to be settled this morning. The situation that you're going on, that's going on in your life. You need to remember the Lord's near. He's at hand. It's okay. You can't change the circumstances around you. It's okay. It's hard. It's okay. He's here. And that calms our pulse. And that prevents me from actually needing to panic and control everything that's around me. And Paul, with the heart of a pastor from afar, is going, I know you're going through suffering. We can't change your circumstances. But you can change. You can rejoice in the Lord. And you need to do it. That's your strength. The Lord's near. Don't be anxious. That idea of being anxious, and I love this, this definition of it, it's to be killed or pained by one's mind or thinking. You ever felt that way? Like your brain's going to explode trying to figure out life that's going on around you? You feel overwhelmed? And Paul's commanding a group of people, don't be anxious. Well, how do I not be anxious? Instead of being anxious about everything, about anything, in everything, by prayer, in supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what's the very next verse that he says? Then your heart and mind are going to be guarded. See, so often in my life and in the life of others around me, I panic. And I keep trying to run a million miles an hour 
But if I'm honest, like I was talking about and sharing about that story at LCCC, what I needed most was not to try to add one more thing to my life. What I needed at LCCC was to actually look at my schedule and go, you know what, are there times that I can actually pull back from what I'm doing? It's important, but take 10 minutes and talk to the Lord about it. I started thinking through, how would that change my life? If when situations came up, instead of just continuing trying to, instead, man, I, I get that wheel if I'm grinding an axe, and man, I start stepping harder, and I'm like pushing that axe to the grindstone, going sharpen, sharpen, and that's me. But what if what would have been better is for me to back away, just take a few minutes and go, okay, Lord, you're big. You see what's going on in my life. And I bring prayers, and I bring other supplication, that idea of prayer. I'm, I'm even praying for other people. Maybe it's other people in my life that are causing anxiety. I'm, I'm anxious about my kids. I'm anxious about my spouse. I'm anxious about a friend and what's going on in their life. And instead of it killing my mind, I back away for just a minute, and I go, oh, God, you're big. Take this. Take this burden. Instead, what sometimes happens is this. It says, without thanksgiving, he talks about supplication with thanksgiving. The importance of thanksgiving is this, that without thanksgiving, prayer sometimes merely becomes a way of complaining to God about all the bad things that might be happening in our life. It is so important that we're being thankful to our God. Because one of the things that Paul encouraged is that we do all things without grumbling and complaining. Has your prayer turned to that with God? Just a gripe session? Or do I come to God with prayer, with supplication, with specific requests that are on my mind, and I talk to him and I go, great are you, God. Thank you that you hear me. And my heart is stilled. My mind is stilled. And I have comfort. My pulse slows. The idea of being anxious is the idea of being seated in one's mind. That in my mind, I can do this and just go, huh, there's a big God who has this. I don't have to carry that weight. But if we're honest, isn't that the problem? I have this savior complex and I try to be the one that fixes it. It all rides on me. Let's look at a case study. I mentioned that I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. And we're going to look at a story with Exodus. And um, the people, just to kind of give background, they've been traveling out of, God's rescued them from the hands of, of Pharaoh. And they're, they're making their way out to the Red Sea. And as they get out there, they're up against the Red Sea and... Pharaoh's army comes, and I want you to listen to what happens. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Now, here's what I want us to do real quick. Simple observations, right? People are evaluating their circumstances, their situation. Is it an accurate assessment of their situation? Oh, yeah. There's chariots, there's soldiers, they are not. 
And they're worried about being wiped out. And so what do they do in light of this? And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. I want to ask you a question. What was their view of God at that moment? What was their view of the people of Egypt? How would we compare the view of the scope or size of Pharaoh and his army and God in the mind of the Israelites? Let's see. Maybe how they reacted to another person is how we can tell that. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Do you hear what they just said? Let's put it into different words, what they just said. Moses, what are you doing? I would rather die a slave or live as a slave than die free. That was their statement. I'd rather live my life as a slave. I'd rather go back into captivity than die as a free person. They missed all of the miracles that God did, rescuing them with a mighty hand. And we can look at them and go, oh my goodness, you guys. And and as I was listening through this, I was like, oh my goodness. Man, God rescued them with a mighty hand, clearly brought them out. And they forgot it. They forgot it. They get to this moment weeks later and and they're standing there and all of a sudden this huge army comes along and God has decimated the entire nation of Egypt and they're worried about an army. But isn't that you and I? God works in our life and he does things in our life and, and, and then I come to situations and I go, oh man, clearly he couldn't help me through this. This is so unique. This is so different. Maybe he's changed. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. They were commanded to just stand firm. Don't fear. Does that sound familiar? Don't be anxious. But in everything, through prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. But I go back to this question with the people of Israel. The question that I ask is, we, we looked at this last part. Oh, um, there we go. One more, there we go. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. My challenge to us this morning is this. Is this you? As you're going through life, there's things that come up in our life and there's things that look really big. It's, it's, it's a Pharaoh's army in your life. And when I cry out to God, let's be honest with, with this passage. I don't think this prayer to, to God was, you, God, who created the heavens and the earth and who has made a mockery of the gods of Egypt. You, God, who set all things in motion. You, who led us by a mighty hand out into the wilderness, who we see a pillar 
of cloud by day and fire by night. You, that God that they cried out to. The God that they cried out to was the Hail Mary Pass. Man, I don't know if you can catch this thing, but we're going to try this, boys, all right? We're going to pray to God and hope that he does something. Their view of God was so small. And what did that do to their relationship with their leader? What are you doing, Moses? What does that do to our relationship with one another? We start looking at one another and we have arguments with one another because my view of God is so small. And Paul's looking at us and he's going, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Come to the God of the Bible. Remember who he is, what he's like, and how great and how grand he is. And as I go to God in prayer, I don't have to be anxious. I can remember what kind of God he is and I can lay my requests and my prayers and my supplications before him knowing he hears me knowing that he promises to walk with me. In closing, the problem that I see many times is this. You and I are tempted to believe the problem is out there. My circumstances need to change. You need to change. Maybe if I was over here, life would be better. But I think Paul is encouraging a group of people who are undergoing difficulty in their life, and he's going... God isn't saying your circumstances need to change. He's saying you need to change. I need to be changed. I need to have a greater view of God. We need to have a greater view of God. You and I are tempted to believe that if the conditions are right, we'll be okay. You and I are tempted to believe that if I can get what I want apart from God, I think I can get comfort. I think I can get hope. I think I can get that on my own. And Paul's looking at a group of people and going, don't be anxious, but don't just, don't worry, be happy. Don't just go, don't be anxious, and you fix it through alcohol, through drugs, through other means. He's going, rejoice in the Lord. Come to God. Let your requests be made known to him. And then the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Jesus calls to us and says, I want to change you, not merely your circumstances. I want to change you through this process. And some of you are going through tough things in your life. And it's so easy to try to get out from underneath that pain. I get it. But maybe that's the place that Jesus is wanting to meet you and change you to change me in that difficulty. We say something needs to change with these people around me. Jesus says, okay, let's begin with you. You're a part of this. We say things would be so much better if the conditions were right. And Jesus says, I want to meet you so that you impact the conditions around you as you walk deeply with me. I want to change you. I want to meet you in this place of difficulty. Would we be that church that we make room in our lives to be with Jesus? Are you facing difficulty? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'd say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
the Lord is near. Remember that. Remember he's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace. And the peace of God, sorry, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you so much in our lives. God, I know the things that people are facing in in some situations in their life. There's health issues that are going on in some in the congregation. There's financial issues that are going on. There's marriage issues that are going on. There's addictions out here. Some some of us are are, are losing this battle with addiction in, in our lives in various different capacities. And you, God, you're sufficient. You're big enough. You call us to rejoice in you. Help us to do that. Would that be the thing that breaks addiction? Would that be the thing that helps restore relationships in here in Cheyenne Berean for those that are maybe struggling? That meeting you, God, that we would be changed. Thank you that you don't promise just to change our circumstances. Thank you that you promise to be with us through dark valleys and even on the way to green pastures. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.